0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Land of Hope podcast. Come with us this week as we plant our feet in the Land of Hope. So we're going to get into Acts 18. This is the end of Acts 18. And I don't know, I'm like, are you going to cheer? Or are you going to boo? But you're going to be taking a break from Acts <laughs> for the next five weeks. I'm like, hmm, looking for reactions? Um, so we've been in Acts for two years, and you're going to get a, a five-week break. So... Happy, sad, we'll see. Yeah, I'm like, (laughs) depends on who. I know, I know. Um, So we're going to be in Acts 18. And if you can remember, can we get a map up, honey, just for reference? Um, That last week, what we talked about was how Paul knew it was time for him to leave Corinth. And so he leaves Corinth. And who does he take with them, who he met there? He takes Priscilla and Aquila, this couple who he's kind of, Raised up and and most likely lived with during this couple of years in Corinth, who have kind of learned how Paul does things and are ready to take the example he has set them and go somewhere new and bring the gospel to somewhere new. Now, Paul knows that he is not staying with them, as we talked about last week. He goes and takes a year-long break between Jerusalem and Antioch and is with his home church and gets replenished and does what he needs to do and is able to release Priscilla and Aquila to do that ministry in Ephesus without feeling like he himself needs to stay because I believe it's verse 23 he says, no, maybe 22 says, um, I will come back to you if God wills. But he is able to kind of release them and let them go. It's kind of like your kid graduating from high school, where you're like, I love you. I hope that I will be here for you. You know, like I'll be here for you, and, and um, I hope everything goes well, but I recognize in my heart that I'm not the boss anymore and that you're going to be out on your own, and, you know, I trust you to, to live your adult life, kind of, right? So, yeah. So, I'm, and I'm sure that was really hard. I'm sure Priscilla and Aquila were like, had butterflies in their stomach and we talked about how they were kind of coming into their spring, their new, their start something season when Paul was going into his fall and winter of I'm going to take a rest. I'm going to replenish. I'm going to not be starting something new for the first time in a few years, right? So that's where um, I might never... Preach standing again. This is very comfortable. Uh, (laughs) So that's where we're starting, okay? So where we are in this passage is Ephesus, okay? So it says in verse 24, Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was proficient in the Scriptures. That is a really chock-full verse of who this guy is. So he's a Jewish man who has been born and raised in Egypt. Okay, Alexandria is in Egypt. It had the best, most extensive, still has not been repeated library in the known world that was sacked and raised. So thank you, conquerors. Um, But at this time, Alexandria was a very educated place. It was considered kind of this, if Rome is in the north, Alexandria is in the south, and it will become the seat of a very important church as uh, the gospel progresses. So he's, he's been raised in Alexandria, Egypt. He is a Jewish man, so that there was um, a, a large contingent of Jews in Alexandria, and they would have been Jews that are descended huh. They would have been Jews that were descended from those who had been exiled to Babylon hundreds and hundreds of years earlier. So you've got to think that when the Jews were exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon, some of them stayed in Babylon, a lot of them came home to Jerusalem, but they continued, some of them, to keep scattering and scattering and scattering. And that's why we have Jews in Rome, that's why we have Jews in Alexandria. That's why there's a story of Esther. Where are they in Esther? Persia. They're in Persia, right? That is a result of that banishment from Israel where they were taken up to Babylon and continued to spread. So there is a large international Jewish contingent at this time, and that's where, remember, Jews came back to the temple for Pentecost, And those who believed in Jesus, right, started, the Holy Spirit came on them, they started speaking in tongues, all Jewish, most likely from a lot of different places. Then Jews keep getting saved and saved and saved as they're at this festival in Jerusalem. And then what happens? They go back home, right? So this is another way that the gospel has spread in this time, is that they're taking it back to their Jewish communities at home. And that is how we can kind of understand how this man, Apollos, came to know what he knew, okay? So, um, he was eloquent and learned. Literally, it's like he was a man of words, okay? So, when it says he was an eloquent man or or a wonderful speaker, it, it means that he had a very good way of talking and representing himself and what he believed, Now he comes to Ephesus and he is talking about Jesus. So he has some knowledge of Jesus, but his knowledge of Jesus, and and he's apparently evangelizing his Jewish brothers and sisters about Jesus, but um, he doesn't have the whole story, if that makes sense. So um, he is uh, coming, it says he's proficient in the scriptures, and that Luke who wrote Luke and Acts, makes note that he was proficient in the scriptures, means he was really proficient in the scriptures. He probably had the first five books of the Torah memorized, like all the books of the law, right, and Genesis and um, Exodus. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) I'm like, hmm, got it. Um, And so this means that he truly must have known the Old Testament inside and out. It means that he's able to think of all the messianic prophecies that are in the Old Testament and connect them to Jesus, right? That's what Paul would do. He would connect those two things because he lived in both worlds, right? Um, And so uh, uh, the, the Old Testament had been translated from Hebrew to Greek in Alexandria 200 years earlier. So the reason why he had the Old Testament in his own language is because Alexandria had been the seat of where they had translated it into the common language. So that gives us like a good picture of what Alexandria was at this time, right? That that's where it happened. So it says in verse 25, This man, Apollos, had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Being fervent in spirit, he was accurately speaking and teaching things about Jesus being acquainted only with the baptism of John. Interesting. What's the baptism of John, John the Baptist? It was the baptism of repentance. It was the baptism of, you need, a, you need God to save you, so go, confess your sins, die to them, and be raised to new life. Right? Clean. And so this repentance, remember, it, they... Um, Says John was thunder in the desert, that he was a herald preparing the way of the Lord. And so to know the baptism of John is like John believed in Jesus, and who knows, maybe one of John's disciples scattered to Egypt when John was beheaded. So, what Apollos knows, we don't exactly know what he knew or didn't know, but It's possible that what Apollos knows is John said Jesus was Messiah. He's preaching the baptism of John, i.e., repentance for your sins. Here's Messiah, but doesn't know the whole story of Jesus being uh, Jesus dying and and rising from the grave, and not that the Holy Spirit had fallen on the disciples at Pentecost and that there was a Holy Spirit. Right? So we don't know exactly what he did or didn't know, but what we do know is that his knowledge was incomplete. That as fervent in spirit, as passionate, and as good with words as he was, he was doing a great job kind of giving the first piece of the story, but he didn't have the whole story. Amen. Right? And um, so it says that this man, okay, had been only acquainted with baptism, the baptism of John. He was passionate, he was accurately teaching things about Jesus. What a compliment! Wouldn't we all love to get to heaven and have Luke tell us, you accurately taught the things of Jesus? I, for one, I'm just going to avoid him. (laughs) Right? But I mean, that's a lot of pressure. What a compliment to Apollos, right? That he was accurately teaching these things. Even so, his knowledge about Jesus was not complete. And he knew the baptism of repentance of sins, but not the baptism that Jesus talks about in the Great Commission, where he says... You know, um, not only repentance, but to put faith in Christ that gives us eternal life and the promise of the Holy Spirit. So it says in verse 26, this is the part where I would have been frustrated with Apollos. He began speaking boldly in the synagogue. So you can imagine Priscilla and Aquila come to Ephesus, and they have watched their mentor Paul do this for years. Go to the synagogue on Sabbath show how the Old Testament Scripture supports Jesus being the Messiah. So you can imagine Priscilla and Aquila are like, okay, we go to the synagogue on Sabbath, and that's what we do, right? Now this guy comes in, and he is speaking boldly in the synagogue, but he doesn't have the whole story. Now he's full of such confidence and boldness that he's speaking about Jesus at synagogue on the Sabbath day, which again, we can assume Priscilla and Aquila had been doing in some capacity since Paul left them there. And it says, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God more accurately to him. Now, if I was Priscilla and Aquila, let's say I'm Priscilla in this equation, (laughs) I would be frustrated that this guy is coming in and with all his passion and all of his eloquence, not exactly sharing the whole of what we want the Jews in Ephesus to get about Jesus. But what they see in Apollos is passion and a desire to honor God and also great skill in speaking. So what we see is that instead of being frustrated, that they kindly take him aside, notice not publicly, They don't stand up and say, you're wrong, you're wrong. That's not it at all, which I would have loved to do in this situation. But they take him aside. And in some translation, it says they take him into their home. They took him aside into their home and explain or teach to him the fullness of the gospel and instruct him in the things about Jesus that he doesn't know. And I'm like, you know, where did they get that? Where did that come from? Well, they had just spent two years with Paul being instructed and learning and becoming the people who could go to Ephesus to present the gospel. And so you see this beautiful DNA that's been passed down from them, uh, from Paul to them, just as things were passed to Paul when he had his come-to-Jesus moment And people kindly brought him in and taught him about how Jesus was Messiah and what to do. That then he goes on a missionary journey and he finds Priscilla and Aquila and he lives with and teaches them for two years. They watch him, they learn from him, and now this is what they're doing with the young, confident, but maybe not fully (laughs) educated person that is showing promise where they are. They aren't frustrated. They kindly take him aside and do just what Paul had done for them in their two years together in Corinth. And you know what's interesting is that Apollos clearly welcomes this. And he becomes a student of Priscilla and Aquila. That's very rare too. (laughs) We have two very rare things we have people who know more, who are not frustrated that someone knows less. And we have someone who thinks he knows a lot and is willing to be taught and trained
1: yeah.
0: by a man and a woman. Right? Yeah. So that's, that's two things there that are very rare. <clears throat> and it says, and when, so, so we can imagine then some time goes by. Okay? I wish they were like three days later, you know, like the the little parentheses, right? Probably six months to a year later. It says, when he wanted to go across to Accia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. So now he wants to become a missionary, he wants to take the gospel. where he feels like he can encourage and help and exhort. And what we know is that he has done a good job of learning from Priscilla and Aquila, and he has become part of the church and a leader in the church because the brothers, i.e. the believers there, encourage him to do so and write him write to the disciples where he's going to welcome him. So they're giving a letter of endorsement Which is interesting because the Jerusalem church gave Paul and Barnabas a letter of endorsement, right? Et cetera, et cetera. So this is a way of saying, hey, we know this guy, he's a good guy, and you can listen to him. And they encourage him to go which means he really did learn what he needed to know and he wasn't still like, well, I'm just gonna preach what I'm preaching. You know, It's good to know what you're doing. But no, that he had come into the community in such a way that now his fellow believers, his peers are saying, yes and amen, go and share the gospel, go and help them in their knowledge of scriptures because where he's going is a place where um, there's a lot, of, a lot of pagan worship and a lot of people who need the Old Testament explained to them. So Apollos has not lost any of his passion, and that's another encouragement from this time. You know, sometimes when we learn a lot about God, we get less passionate about him. Isn't that a funny dichotomy? I remember Amos saying that his two years at Bible college were his, the driest spiritual times of his life. Now Why? Because it's academic, and you're getting graded on it, and you're flooded with so much knowledge, you don't have time to think about, Lord, what are you doing in me, and what are you saying to me? You know, you're just trying to get all the reading done. (laughs) I remember after I took a class in the Gospels, it was my very first class at Fuller Seminary, and I couldn't read the Gospels for like three or four years after that class. I was like, it's been so picked apart and dissected, that I've like lost my taste to love that part of God's word. And so sometimes when we're in that period of like learning and growing, we can get a little bit dry. But what I love about Apollos is that he had not lost any of his passion. He's like, send me, right? And the brothers encourage him and endorse him to go do that. So he's actually going to go back down to Corinth. Okay, so he's going to go back to where Priscilla and Aquila are from and where Paul has been for the last two years. And what he probably wants to do is say, I want to go back and I want to make sure that their scriptural foundation is really, really strong. If you remember in the uh, prison letters, when Paul writes to Corinth, they have a lot of issues. They have a very hard time following God's word. They get distracted really easily by stuff that is not essential to faith. And so it makes sense that a year later, maybe two years later, Priscilla and Aquila would say, would you go back to Corinth? And would you kind of reconfirm the things that were originally taught to them and make sure they're kind of back on straight where they're meant to be? right? So they're going back to where the gospel's already been presented. And we know that, again, Apollos truly became a disciple and a leader because the men and women of the church are 100% behind him and wrote to the disciples in Corinth a letter of recommendation. And it says, and when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. Which again is such an encouragement. Is there is there a um, is that the end of that verse, verse twenty seven? He greatly encouraged those who had believed through grace.
1: Uh, mm-hmm. And then, and yes. he had uh,
0: yeah. Okay, perfect. There's a comma in mine, so I was afraid that my iPad, because I'm not technologically savvy. Paul cut that out. <laughs> but when I look at this passage. I think of like how far we've come from those days in the upper room where the disciples just like don't know what to do because Jesus has ascended and he said like just wait don't tell people about me don't don't go fulfill the great commission till you've been filled with power from on high right Amen. and they're just waiting and praying and there's like that's the only direction they have And they don't know what's going to happen. And Peter's like, I just kind of became the kind of person who maybe won't screw this up really bad. Right? Like Thomas has just gotten through doubting Jesus and having to put his hands in his wounds. And I think of like now, how many generations out, spiritual generations out are we from that? Well, we have Paul coming to Christ and not a disciple, but a descendant of a disciple, spiritual descendant, taking him into his home and and caring for him and teaching him things. And then when Paul first goes out on his first missionary journey, he's not even in charge. Who's in charge? Barnabas starts in charge, right? And then Paul slowly takes over, and then they, on the way back, they pick up Timothy. He raises Timothy He takes Silas with him. They make this whole beautiful ark, And by the time Paul's like, I'm ready for a rest. It's my season to take a break. He's raised up Priscilla and Aquila, who were Jews kicked out of Rome for being Jewish. And then he raises Priscilla and Aquila up, who go to Ephesus, and then they raise up Apollos and now send, right? That's a lot of spiritual raising and sending. That's a lot of investment over generations, spiritual generations. Do you understand what I mean by that? Like Amos and I would say Tom and Tanya Naki are our spiritual parents, okay? They're pastors in Bakersfield now. And then we would say that we have spiritual children, that we raised up and are doing ministry or serving the Lord, right? And now our hope is that they would, and a lot of them do, they would have their own spiritual children, right? And when I think about this, this um, story, I think uh, we may not all feel like we're Paul. <laughs> Anyone feel like they're Paul? Paul, you feel like you're Paul? <laughs> Paul feels like a Paul. Um, we, what did you do? Um, that's not what you have to look forward to for the next five weeks, by the way. He's like, oh, I'm going to. Anyway, just, I'm sorry. But, um, but uh, I think about, like, we, we don't all feel like Pauls, but uh, I hope we feel like, well, then maybe I'm a Priscilla an Aquila, which means that at some point, you raise an Apollos, right? You know, we were joking at camp, because at camp, there's all these young leaders, and you get to see them kind of awkwardly shine, (laughs) like there's these 17, 18, 19-year-old kids, and And um, the activities team had a 14-year-old and two 17-year-olds serving on it under Benita, who's she um, has been to this church, and she's she's 27. And they're just talking in the back the whole time we're doing cabin leader training. And I was like, Benita, can I talk to your team? (laughs) So I take the boys out, and I'm like, listen, this is your opportunity to be a leader. You need to be in the front row taking notes, not in the back row chit-chatting, and distracting people. So my expectation from you on forward is that you are learning and listening and and pressing into what it means to be a leader, regardless of your age. Because I was like, look at our camp director. Our camp director started on the activities team. So it's time for you to step up and learn how to do it. The 14 year old struggled, but the two seventeen oh oh, they just rose. And I just saw them be like, okay, I'm with you. You know, like I was like eye contact tell me you're with me, right? Yeah. And I'm like, and, and I'm getting to see them then, like I said, kind of awkwardly shine. And I'm talking to their leaders like, oh, are they, they're going to graduate next year? Do they want to come be a youth pastor? You know? And one of their leaders said to me, I have been meeting with that kid once a week for a year. You cannot take him. And I was like, look, Paul watered, or Paul planted, and Apollos watered. (laughs) I was like, give me that kid. I don't don't care how much you've invested. No, but um, well, we'll see if we can poach from that. But the point being that, like, we've been together, most of us, for a year, if not two years, if not longer than that. We've been through... We can probably agree, tough times as a church, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's time for some of the Priscilla's and Aquila's in our congregation, in fact, I would say all of us who call hope home, it's time now to start seeing ourselves as those in Ephesus who are raising and not, still like living with Paul and learning how to do things spiritually. I think it's time for us as a church, for those of us who call hope home, to step up as leaders. We've spent our time becoming who we're meant to be and setting a culture and understanding who we are as a church. But the thing is, is that in order for a church to grow, and just to be really clear, this, is, this was not written down or planned. I'm just speaking now. I'm not really interested in hope growing. Yeah. Babe, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I'm not really interested in hope growing to be a big church. I want us to be a discipled church where people are disciples and where people are coming to Christ through our influence, not necessarily here because I preached a great sermon, but because you have relationship with your neighbors and your coworkers and your friends. But I'll tell you what, what the last two years has showed me is that the church growth movement was really good at people in the, getting people in the door, but it was not good at making disciples. And I don't value church growth. I don't mean not growing at all, but I mean... Getting as many people here as possible so we feel like our church is growing. I just don't value it like I used to. So, with that said, in order for us to grow the right way and the healthy way, we have to have a foundation of people who are bringing their gifts and discernment and their story and their wisdom to this community. In the fall, I mean, I'm going on sabbatical and I'm sure I'll come back with a lot of ideas, (laughs) but I want us to have an outreach team. I want us to have a group of people whose responsibility it is for us to bless and reach Tacoma and Pierce County. I want us to have a larger kids and youth team so that we can invest in our children and they can learn from you because you are their Pauls. You understand that, right? That the example you set in worship and the way you engage with the Lord and the way that you talk about God and what you're doing, what you're showing our kids, you are their spiritual parents. Whether you want to be or not, if you're in this room, you are because you are who they have to look to. Amen.
1: Amen.
0: So I hope you see where I'm, where, what I'm trying to kind of share is that there is a time for repairing and resting and buckling down, circle up the wagons kind of, and like, let's get strong, right? I think of playing Oregon Trail and like sometimes you need to camp to replenish the, the health and the stamina. I always lose people on stamina when I play Oregon Trail. I'm like, let's keep going. Get to Fort Mandan before the winter. Um, <laughs> you're welcome. I just thought I'd bring some humor because I know I'm being very serious. Um, but I think that time is over and it's time for a new season of, it's, it's not over, but I hope you hear what I'm saying it's time for you to bring who you are as a leader to this community, to the outreach we do, to the way that we interact with our kids and youth, to all sorts of things that haven't been started yet. And what I'm not asking you to do is work yourselves to the bone or burn yourself out or dread coming to church because you are tired. Okay. That's why we're doing emotionally healthy spirituality, okay? That is a value of ours. But it's time for us to raise some Apollo's is Apollosi. It's time for us to raise those and to not um, to, to build that next tier. You know I had this picture that the Lord gave me years ago, where He showed me building, you know, like a pyramid. He showed me building a foundation that was strong enough and well-built enough and wide enough and wide enough <laughs> and deep enough to let something be built off of that. And the picture the Lord showed me this week is that being on sabbatical is light. I saw myself like placing the last stone on that foundation. And you guys are, for hope, that foundation. Living stones being built together.
1: Amen.
0: And we cannot, we cannot build if that foundation isn't there. If that foundation isn't bringing this, this base, this strong base for things to grow off of. So I'm asking you to be a stone. <laughs> So that others can be built up from this layer of what are we as hope? Authenticity, community, and devotion to God's word. So we can grow up and care for each other. Yeah. So, with that said, I'm just going to pray for us. Lord, we thank you for your word. All the stories of all the people probably felt so um, random and unplanned to them. like Priscilla and Aquila being kicked out of Rome, landing in Corinth, and Apollos being raised in Alexandria and coming to Ephesus. But Lord, when we look back and we read your word, we see, God, that everything you were doing, you were doing on purpose. And so, Lord, we thank you that even when we're like, okay, what's next? God, that you are not confused. You have prepared us for such a time as this and such a place as this. And so, God, right now, and if you're ready, would you maybe, like, open your hands or put your hand over your heart? And just say like, Lord, I submit to how you want, to, you want me to follow you in this time. Lord, I say yes to your invitation to become a leader. A leader in my own way. A leader that is an outpouring of who I am. Not an outpouring of who Eleanor is or Amos is or Paul is or anyone else. But Lord you have created us with our stories and our wisdom and our heritage and story of faith, Lord, for just this time and place. And so, Lord, I thank you for these leaders. I thank you for what you've done in this church the last few years. God, it has been painful and hard, but Lord, you do not waste anything You use all things, Lord, to make us into the people, God, that you have in your heart for us to be. So we look forward, Lord, to what you're going to do. We thank you, God, that when you call us to do something for you, Lord God, that you, it's meant to energize us and not make us feel tired. And so we look for that word. Lord, what am I excited about? What am I energized about? Lord, what call do you have for me that makes me want to get up and go? Thank you, Jesus. We worship you. Amen. Amen. Um, yes. The kids have a little 10 second presentation they want to do. Okay. Um, uh, Desiree's going to come up and we're going to pray, and then you can bring them in. The kids have a presentation for us that they would like for us to do. But before we do that, Desiree is gonna come up. And um, I'm, I'm happy to let you guys know that here at Hope, we have a church council. Church council makes all of our big, important financial decisions, but I also trust their spiritual discernment. So when we're deciding like, should we stay at Star Center for a year or keep looking for a building for right now, we're the ones praying for that. Does that make sense? Um, and so I don't make big decisions on my own, not because Foursquare wouldn't allow it, but because I think that's stupid. Amen? Amen. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so, so yeah, Mila gets it. So Desiree is our newest council member, okay? She's coming on to council to offer her wisdom and her discernment and her, um, all of her gifts. You can be up here, Isaac. And so right now, our council is Desiree and um, Chandra and Miss Barb. Okay, that's our council right now. We're turning over some members, because Diane and Chad had been in that role for six years, which is four years too long.
1: Um,
0: So, yes, Desiree has something to say.
1: Yes, so as we um, are sending out Eleanor to um, her sabbatical, we want to make sure that it's very clear on our part and for Eleanor that we are sending her with our blessing and that we are receiving her back with great joy and that there is... This yes. is a healthy thing, and it is a part of the culture and the rhythm of our church. Mm-hmm. So, so right. we just want to pray her out yes. um, with our full blessing. So I'm happy to lead. If anybody wants to come up and just lay her hands yes. on her as our pastor. Yeah. Uh, yep. Okay. I <laughs> will help you. <gasps> yes. Mila. Um, and we'll just send her out. Do you want to um, hold my and hand? Blessing, no. And prepare okay. for her to, to come back. I'm like, hands. not too many hands. I
0: don't want to get too hot. <laughs> <laughs> keep our distance.
1: (laughs) Lord, we just thank you for Eleanor and who she is, the entire package of personality and intellect and sass, Lord. You have given her to us as our pastor and our leader, and we thank you for that, Lord. Mm -hmm. We start with gratitude, and we um, just appreciate that she has been willing to guide us through these last years Mm -hmm. and has done so with grace and humility and authenticity, Lord. So, Lord, we send her out now into the garden to spend time Thank with you. Thank you, Lord. And just like Elijah, Lord, we just pray that you would minister her to her body, mm-hmm. that you would minister her to her mind, that you would provide her a snack and a nap in your still small voice, Lord. Thank you, Lord. That there would be um, a peacefulness that falls over her body. Yes. Thank you, Lord. And her heart, Lord and that she would be fully restored and rejuvenated during this time. Mm-hmm. Lord, we release and we speak against any guilt, For being gone and spending this time with you, Lord. Mm, Thank you, Lord. We pray for peace over her household. Mm -hmm. um, That even as the girls are seeing her more and her relationship with her husband, Lord, that that would be a peaceful and growing time for them as a family. Lord, Lord, we um, pray even for the little one within her, that this would be a time that she learns her her mama's heart.
0: Thank um, you, Lord.
1: And the peace that is within her household, Lord. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. Heavenly Father, we pray over hope. As we remain behind, Mm -hmm. and we are um, watered by those that come in during this time, Mm -hmm. and we trust in the seeds, the deep, deep seeds that you have allowed Eleanor to plant in us, Lord. Mm -hmm. So we send her out with our blessing. Lord, we ask for and believe for great things in her life. Lord, we receive her back Mm -hmm. in five weeks uh, with great, great joy, and are excited to hear the full report that comes from her mouth. Mm -hmm. So we love her. We love her. Lord, we love being with you as a family of God. Mm In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Amen.
0: Thank you so much. What a blessing. Okay, the kids have a presentation. So, oh, (laughs) All right, so kiddos, you can come. (laughs) Go, 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 go.
1: I don't know where to put that. Hi, thanks for tuning in today. If anything that you heard moved you or touched you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. So please head on over to discoverhope.org/connect and connect with us. And if you'd like to support the podcast or even sponsor the podcast, just head on over to discoverhope.org/giving. Thanks.